We, we started this um, series a couple weeks ago. And uh, I'm a, listen, I'm a word guy. I like words. I love studying words. I love studying the meaning of words. And so I love that the Bible, especially the New Testament, is written in a in a, an amazing language form called Koine Greek. And it's so much different than the English language. I mean, we use the word love to describe everything. Um, and so in the Greek language, it has a multitude of differences in words that when you understand them and understand that the writers that Joe talked about this weekend on Easter, when you understand that those writers used the Koine language to write this book, a language that wasn't speakable, but was written, right? It, it is an amazing thing to learn. And what we learned in Ephesians chapter six, so if you get your Bibles online in here, we're going to be in Ephesians six. Um, and we go through a lot of scriptures on Wednesday night, just because I get a little bit more time or I just ignore my clock and take a lot more time. But, but we get a lot more, we go through a little bit more scriptures. And one of the things that we learned in Ephesians six, verse 10 through 13 was that as Paul wraps up what is an incredible letter of theology um, and practical application, he turns the corner in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, and he gives what I think is the pregame speech before we go out, right? And here's what we learned, right, in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. He says in, in Ephesians 6, he says, Be strong in the Lord... And in his mighty power. Somebody say amen. Now I don't know about you. Online in here. But I know about me. And I know about people from so many years of being in ministry. But what I know about most Christian people. Or a lot of Christian people. When they talk about their faith. And practice their faith. Is that it's a fight. It's a struggle. Right? It's up and down. And it's in and out. And it's good and bad. And there's doubt. And there's assurance. And there's all these things. Right? Because for so many years, we've convinced you, and when I say we, I'm talking about preachers and teachers, we've convinced you that there's something on the line if you don't fight and succeed in your daily walk. I mean, there's a season in the church where you couldn't go to church without hearing a hellfire and damnation sermon about everything that you've done wrong, even as a Christian. And if you don't get it right, you're still going to go to hell because listen, God is a fearful God and you don't want to fall into his judgment. And listen, all of that stuff plays into people who are naturally gifted now with sin and the cause of that or the result of that fear. Listen, you want to you want to control somebody, play into their fear. Listen, one of the greatest weapons that the devil uses in our walk with Jesus is to try to create fear in us. And what you know in scripture when you read it is that we don't have to be afraid anymore. Christians do not need to walk in fear. Can you walk in disgust with how stupid you can be sometimes? Somebody say yes. Right? We can all do that. But when we tie our peace, when we tie our hope, and when we tie truth to that feeling, man, all you're doing is putting out a sign for the forces of evil to come and work on you. And what we learned in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, you've got to be strong in the Lord. Amen? But here's what he says. Don't be just strong in the Lord, but one particular thing be strong in. Be strong in the might of his power. 
So where we get our strength in Jesus is the thing that he brought to battle with Satan. Because Hebrews chapter 2 tells us that Jesus destroyed him who held the power of death, that is the devil. And freed us who were in fear all our lives long. So guess what? He says, you be strong in that strength. And yet how many of you, when you walk and talk and, and scrap in your faith, you're trying to make yourself better. You're trying to read more. You're trying to pray more. You're trying to give more and serve more. You've made this about your fight and about your strength. And guess what happens when you bring your strength up against the forces of evil? Guess who wins? They do. Because our strength in the Lord is in what? His power and his might. Because that's what he brought into the ring when Jesus was promised a long time ago when God said, this boy who's coming from this woman, he's going to crush you. And Hebrews 2 says he did just that. He brought his power, that same word in Ephesians 6.10, he brought that power into the ring with Satan and said, let me have your best shot, Satan. Satan knocks him out, throws him in the grave, and celebrates victory. Three days later, through the might of God's power... And the combination of, of Jesus' might and power, guess what happened? Satan got what? Come on, say the word defeated. Everybody say it. Satan is what? That means he's defeated in whose life? It's defeated in your life. And yet how many of you say, are in conversations where you hear, man, Satan's working on me today. He is tearing me up, Right? We give Satan credit for all kinds of things that scripture never gives him credit for. Because you know what scripture says about Satan? Colossians 2 says he's been disarmed. He's been disarmed. As a matter of fact, Colossians 2 tells me and you that he was made a public spectacle out of. You ever been shamed in public? Yeah. For those of you that have, you didn't raise your hand because you remember that feeling, right? Listen, if you've ever been shamed in public, you know the disgrace and the weakness that accompanies that moment. Satan was made a public spectacle out of. Being destroyed by the death on the cross in the empty tomb. And now he has no weapon for the fight. And Jesus destroyed him. And Jesus is our savior. So be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. You see, the thing that you bring to the fight is the victory that Jesus already won. And you know how you start that? You start that by saying that. You start that by saying that. Right? We act as if, man, when we're confronted with, oh, man, Satan's, how's your week going? Oh, man, Satan has been just wearing me out. And we say that in almost this defeatist tone. Do you realize the guy that you're giving credit for defeat, for, for beating you up is a defeated foe who has no power over you? Somebody say amen. Because scripture says that the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead now lives in who? lives in you. So what do you think Satan feels about when he sees the power that destroyed him living in you? He's what? He should be afraid. But we don't act that way. And so guess what? We convince, Satan convinces us, listen, we ain't got to sneak up on them. We ain't got to approach them like a deer, right? Because they won't be spooked. They already think they're defeated. They think this is them against me. Ephesians says, no, you be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And then he tells us to put on the armor of God. And we learned two weeks ago that putting on the armor of God happens how many times, church? Come on, say it. 
It happens once. And we know that because we study the, the, the Greek language. The Greek language there is an imperative, which is a command, but it's not in the present. It's not a prayerist, a present imperative, meaning it's happened over and over and over again. It's an aorist imperative, which means it's a command that happens how many times? Once. And yet how many of you have heard sermons preached about the armor of God that you've got to get up every day and get dressed for, for battle? Anybody? How many of you are tired of losing that battle? Right? And then what happens is you convince yourself that it's biblical. It's biblical to feel this way. It's biblical to fight. Do you realize that when it comes to your spiritual life, that there was only one person that fought for you and won? And his name is Jesus. So he says, put on the armor of God one time, just one, because it's yours. I was blessed to be able to go to Mayport up in Jacksonville years and years and years ago when my uncle Sonny came home from his first deployment on the USS Eisenhower. He was in the Navy and was fortunate enough to just be in Jacksonville and found out he was coming into Mayport and this was back before 9-11 and so we were able to gather and I will never forget the sight of this massive USS Eisenhower, this aircraft carrier coming into port there in Mayport and every one of those sailors stood in their dress uniform. It was one of the most humbling sights of my life to see those men in uniform. And I didn't mistake any of them for anything other than a soldier. About an hour later, my uncle and I got to meet and he was wearing blue jeans and a t-shirt and tennis shoes. All of a sudden, that uniform that he wore that signified who he was and who he belonged to and where his strength and his power lied was gone because he changed outfits. Do you know that that's what most Christians do? We change our outfit and all of a sudden this, listen, this armor that God tells us about, I'm going to tell you right now, every verb, every verb in this text is aorist, meaning it happens how many times? Once. I looked. And I double checked because I didn't believe it. Because I never hear anybody preach about it. And every verb is in aorist tense. Which means it happens once and that's it. And yet every preacher I read and every preacher I've heard talks about the battle that we're in. Spiritually you aren't in a battle. Because it's over. But we are in a struggle. Amen. That word isn't the same word as a fight. The actual word means to, to, to vibrate from the collision. Anybody ever feel the vibration of the spiritual collision in your life when you're dealing with those forces of evil and the forces of wickedness in the heavenly places? Anybody feel that tension? Amen? Yeah. And, and do you have a fight with your own flesh that wants to be stupid and make dumb decisions? Yes. That's not a spiritual fight. The spiritual fight that your flesh caused got defeated on the cross and in the empty tomb. Somebody say amen. Now we're just trying to live in it with the Holy Spirit. Because we got a bad roommate situation and that's not comfortable for all of us. Truth? But that's not a spiritual fight. You see, when he tells us to put on the armor of God, it's one time. Because guess what? What we're going to find out tonight with the belt of truth, that soldiers wore the belt even when they were off duty. You want to know why? Because it was such a powerful reminder of who they were. 
Matter of fact, when you read some historical accounts of how leaders in the Roman army punished their soldiers, they would take their belt away. Because they knew how much shame it created for a Roman soldier to not have his belt identifying who he was. And yet it happens one time for us. One time. And the reality is, is that when you get the pregame speech, this becomes a whole different thing. Because in Jesus, you've already won. Somebody say amen. And the things that you're dealing with in the spiritual world, the Bible calls them the schemes of the devil. Methodos is the Greek word. It means methods, right? Methods. And guess what you can know about methods? You can know them, right? You can study them. Satan's not a genius. It's not like he's coming up with new ways to convince you how to sin. He already has patterns of behavior. You just got to know them. And once you know them, they're not hard to identify. He said, you be strong in the Lord. You put on the armor one time and you do it for one reason, to stand. Everybody say stand. Nowhere in Ephesians 6 does he say fight. He says it five times. You have to say it. Stand. 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 Means immovable. Not shaken. Right? Stand. This isn't a fight. It's not, come on, Satan, we've got to have this out. This is something that you've done, something that you own. And so you know what you do? You what? You stand. That's all we got to do. And see, the armor and the might of Jesus' power allows us to what? Because there ain't no fight. There ain't no fight. Listen, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big person, which is a polite way of saying I'm overweight, Right? But I've always been a big person, right? But I'm 59 years old and outside of an English class where we acted out of play, I've never thrown a punch. I grew up and did everything I could to avoid a fight because I had a brother that if I ever got in a fight with him, he'd have killed me. And I didn't want to fight. And so I've avoided a fight, but I know people who've been in fights and my favorite part of the fight is, is when they're standing face to face with somebody. And you watch the person who you know is going to win because when they stand there, they stand with what? Come on, say the word confidence. They stand with confidence because in their mind, the fight's already what? It's already over. That's what God wants us to be like when it comes to Satan. The fight's already what? It's already what? It's already what? It's already over. It's already won. The fight you have with you, listen, I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry your parents messed you up. I'm sorry you got betrayed. I'm sorry you got hurt. I'm sorry that you've got all of these issues that you need to deal with in your own flesh. But that is not a spiritual fight. That is a a fight with a decaying flesh that will die and go into the ground and be replaced with something perfect. There's no reason to feel not confident in your spiritual standing with God because you and I've got flesh that wants to do things that probably at times might be contrary to what God wants us to be. But the minute you tie your sin and your flesh into the victory that Jesus won, you've said to God, I don't trust you. I don't trust Jesus. I don't trust that cross and I don't trust that tomb. I trust my performance. Ephesians 6 designed to get us out of that. You know Jesus online in here, say amen. That means you have put on the armor of God how many times? 
And you are, as Paul said, more than a what? Conqueror. We say that like it's, oh, I got to convince myself. I got to convince myself. I got to convince myself. No, it's true. And you know what makes truth powerful? Is when you speak it and when you act on it. And most Christians don't, don't do that. And here's the thing. The reason why the church is suffering today in 2023 is because the kids we raised without that spiritual truth and application finally decided, you know what? I can find something better. My need is so great that this isn't working for mom and dad. It certainly didn't work for grandma and grandpa because they're a stinking mess, right? And they decided, you know, we want something else. They decided the local church wasn't the place to find hope. And now all of a sudden the church is scrambling like our kids won't come to church. Our kids who are having kids don't want to come to church. Well, why would they? Why would you want to be in a place where the message there is, I really hope this works for you, but we'll only know it when you fight and win. Why would you want to come to that? And here's the thing. It's not true. It's just not true. So I want you I want me, I want you to be informed with the truth. Because listen, here's what Jesus is going to say about the truth. The truth will set you free. Most Christians do not live free. They live in bondage. And they live in bondage to their own failure, their own struggle, their own faults, their own, their own wisdom. And guess what? It's just wrong. It's just wrong. So that was the pregame. So now he's going to get into... The armor. And listen to how he starts verse 14. Ephesians chapter 6, 14 says, what does he say? Again, a reminder. Let's get context right. This isn't going out in the locker room and you got to beat the rival, cross town rival high school team and pummel them for 48 minutes. All you got to do is what? You just got to stand. And you want to know, you want to know something else is going to make you crazy? That Greek word stand is a verb. And guess what tense it's in? It's in the aorist tense, which means you only have to do it what? You ain't got to do this over and over again. It's already been done. You take your stand. But he says you got to stand how? Because here's the thing. Those forces of evil that we wrestle with, they want to convince you to move. And you only lose when you move. And that's what most Christian people do. You don't need to move. He says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place. So let's talk about the belt of truth. All right. I'm just going to go through real quickly here. I've only got 17 minutes. So let's go through real quick. Here's the first, here's the first point I want to think. Gird yourself. So in the Greek language, the word gird, right, is, is a word that is associated with, uh, getting dressed, right? So when you gird something, you get dressed. Let me read a couple of verses to you, right? In John chapter 21, many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet Jesus. The Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting, oh, that's John 12. It's John 21. John chapter 21. So Jesus, Jesus in John chapter 21, right, is talking to Peter and says, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, I love me, love you. And then Jesus said, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, I love you. And then Jesus says, are you sure you really love me? And John get, or Peter gets hurt because Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? John stands there after watching all of this and whines to Jesus about it. Or Peter whines to Jesus about John and says, well, what about him? 
And here's what Jesus said. I tell you the truth. When you were younger and you what? Dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are older, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will what? That word dress in the Greek is the word for gird, right? It means to get dressed, right? The word that's used here is the word peri and then whatever the word for gird is. Basically, peri means, you ever heard of a periscope? A periscope looks what? All around, right? So peri in front of the Greek word for gird means to dress yourself where? All around, all over. In, in, in uh, Acts chapter 12, it's used. The angel said to him, Peter, right? Put on your clothes and sandals. The word put on, right? Your put on is the Greek word ana in front of the word, or peri in front of the word gird, right? So you can get dressed or you can get completely ready. He says, Put on your clothes and your sandals, meaning there's a couple things you got to do to be completely dressed and ready to go, right? Perry, all around. Now listen to this. I want to use this word. Skip the Revelation passage. Go to 1 Peter 1. This word is used by Peter again in 1 Peter 1. He says, therefore, everybody online, everybody read this with me. Prepare. Stop. He says, prepare your minds for action. You can read that in English and go, there's no word for gird in that. But when you go to the Greek language, the word prepare is the word gird. And not only is the word gird, it is the word perigird. Which means you need to get ready all around. You need to be completely ready. And he says, you need to do that with your what? With your what? With your mind. With your mind. Because here's the thing, the only weapon Satan has at his disposal, according to Jesus in John 8, is that he is a what? He is a liar. Everybody say liar. And not only is he a liar, he's the father of lies. And not only is he the father of lies, there's no truth in him. So guess, guess, you know, we live in a world today where we call that gaslighting people. Anybody ever heard that word? One of my least favorite words in the world, Okay. Is, is when I hear somebody say, you're gaslighting me. I don't even know what that means half the time, right? I had a gas stove growing up. We lit the stove. That was gaslighting to me, right? But gaslighting has become synonymous with this idea that we tell you falsehoods. And here's the thing about a quote unquote gaslighter. They know how to manipulate you into doing what they want. We call those people narcissists as well. Right? Another word that we throw around like everybody is a complete narcissist. Listen, I'm getting off topic here. Here's what I want you to know. Bring that verse back up if you don't mind, Mike. Prepare your mind. Gird your mind. Right? The, the idea here is that there is something that you need to do to get ready for what's ahead. Right? Had a, had a funeral today. I had to gird myself for that funeral. I had to go home and put on my suit and my dress shoes and get ready for the funeral. We have service tonight. I went home and changed clothes so I could gird myself for what's happening. He says, you need to gird or fasten in your English Bibles the belt of truth, which means the action here taken, right, is designed to happen once 
And it's designed to prepare you for something. We know what it's preparing us for. It's preparing us to stand. Somebody say amen. So this action of girding is something that you do and it's going to protect and prepare how much of you? All of you because it's peri-gird. Right? Here's the second thing we got to do. He's going to tell us that we need to guard our life. So you got to gird. Right? Which means you've got to get you yourself ready for this. Listen, you can't stand, you can't stand firm or stand your ground if you don't gird yourself for action. It won't happen. Listen, if you don't do this once and make it last and keep taking it off and putting it on and taking it off and putting it on, you're going to spend so many days unprepared to stand. And you know what's going to happen on those days? Satan's Folks and their schemes are going to lie to you and they're going to convince you of stuff. And then you're going to make yourself crazy. And when you make yourself crazy, you know what you do? You do the things that cope with your own self that your flesh wants to do. For some of you, that's drinking. For some of you, that's, that's porn. For some of you, that's gambling. For some of you, you shut down and you just quit talking to people. But when we get into that space where we're now coping with what we weren't prepared for, all of our bad behaviors happen. And isn't that fun when it happens in the middle of a marriage? Or fun when you're trying to raise a family? He says, you got to get this belt on. You got to gird yourself for action. You got to do this one time because the second thing is you got to guard your life. Because he says there, he said, gird yourself. Or, or excuse me, he says, hey, will you bring Ephesians 6.14 back up, Mike? I want to read that verse again. He tells us to stand firm then, right? And he tells us with the belt of truth buckled, read this, buckled around your what? So the Greek word there is translated. If you, how many of you have a King James Version Bible? Anybody? Right? It says the word loin, right? Adam wore a loin cloth, right? And we get a picture of a physical space, Right? And so oftentimes in scripture, when you see the word loin, it does refer to a physical space, the waist. But it isn't always referred to that physical space. Let me read a passage to you in Hebrews chapter 7. Because Paul says you need to gird, right, your loin with the belt of truth. What's he referring to? Just think how great he was. This is Hebrews chapter 7, verses 4 through 10. Just think how great he was. He is Melchizedek. Even the patriarch, the father of Israel, right? The father of the Jews, Abraham gave this man a tenth of his plunder. Now the law requires the descendants of Levi who become priests to collect a tenth from the people. That is their brothers. Listen to this. Listen to this. Even though their brothers are what? descended from Abraham. That word, right, in Hebrews is the word loin. Loin. Now listen, I don't know about you. I don't know a lot about anatomy and physiology. But if the descendants are loins from Abraham, I'm not sure they came from his waist. Right? I mean, I had class and I've seen pictures, right? I don't think that's the case. He goes on to say this. He says, this man, however, didn't trace his descent from Levi. Yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. And without doubt, the lesser person is blessed by the greater person. 
anyway, I hate reading scripture because it just makes me want to preach another sermon. All right. He says, in the one case, the tenth is collected by men who die, but in the other case, by him who is declared to be living. He says, one might even say that Levi, right? The, the son, the priest who collect the tenth paid the tithe through Abraham because when Melchizedek, listen to this, when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was one of Abraham's eventual children. Levi was still in the what? Body of his ancestor. That's the Greek word for what? Loin. Loin. See, here's the thing about loin. It can mean waste, but can also mean that place of power and of life. He uses that word Right? Sort of metaphorically to suggest that Levi was in Abraham's loin. Now look what he says that you should do. You should gird your loin with the belt of truth. And what's the purpose then? The purpose is to protect that place in you where your life and power come from. You see, we live in a world today where truth is like being just, you know, it's being changed. I mean, we're destroying historical monuments that we don't want around anymore. And what we're saying is to a group of, of children that are going through school, we're changing history because we don't want you to know the what? We don't want you to know the truth. Is it true? It, listen, are, is the truth always pleasant? No. Sometimes it's humiliating and embarrassing. But when you go to change it, it becomes a problem, Right? We live in a world where now, because of what we're dealing with, right? Listen, I'm not, I, listen, I'm not going to pick a side, Republican or Democrat, right? Not about that. I want people to know Jesus. Somebody say amen. But I'm not an idiot. And I know when people are lying to me. I know when people are lying to me. Sometimes they say no more taxes and then they tax you. And I know they're what? I know they're lying, Right? Sometimes they say things and you know it's a lie, right? I'm not dumb and neither are you. But you know what we've become in the church? We've become people now who believe they have to fight for what? We have to fight for the truth. Do you know what people with the truth who fight look like? They look like bullies. They look like bullies. I was watching golf the other day. I'm... This gives you an idea how boring my life is, okay? I was watching golf and the guy, one of the, one of the commentators was talking about uh, how the change in equipment, the change in the ball is going to ruin golf. Because these guys are walking up to the tee box. And if you know anything about golf, I don't know what you're waiting on. You're wasting time, man. Get to know it. It's a great game, right? But they walk up to the tee box and they're hitting the golf ball 325, 30, and 340 yards. And these are 19, 20, 21, 22, 23-year-old kids. And the guy was saying, listen, this is eventually going to become a problem that's going to make golf courses obsolete because they can't build them long enough to make them playable. One of the other guys said, I disagree with you. And guess what he did? For the next seven minutes or so, he presented facts. Real facts that said to this guy, what you just said isn't happening because we have proof. And you know what the guy said? Here's what the guy said. He goes, I don't care what your facts say. It doesn't pass the eye test. I was like, that's the world we live in. 
We don't care about information that may or may not. Listen, show me the photo. I don't care. I don't believe it. It doesn't pass the eye test. Listen, we're living in a world today where that's what's happening around the world and in churches where they're just saying, listen, this, this piece of scripture, that just doesn't pass the eye test. I'm not using that. And, and then you know what we want to do? Who believe it? We want to what? We want to argue and we want to fight. Here's what Paul says the purpose of the belt is. The purpose of the belt is to wear it where? Around your loin. Around your source of power and life. It's not to take it off and to beat people with it. Right? It's for you in standing what? Firm. We think it's designed to chase people out of our church that don't agree with us. Listen, the belt is for your benefit because what we're trying to do here is we're trying to what? Stand. And when we've done all, when we've done all that we should do, we should still what? Stand. And then he says we need to stand firm and stand our ground because when everything's said and over, you need to what? You need to stand. And he says, put on the belt of truth. And how many times did you put it on? Once. You don't take it off and beat your kids with it and then put it back on. You don't take it off and beat your spouse with it and put it back on. You don't take it off and beat, beat people that, that you, that disagree with you. You don't beat them to death with it, put it on. Oh, you can do that if you want to, but it won't be the Jesus truth because Jesus came with grace and truth. You see, the belt's for you. It's not to beat people with, right? You've got to put it over your source of life and power. Listen, I can tell you right now, if you're not building your life on truth, you're not able to stand. Because according to scripture, you'll be tossed back and forth by every wind of doctrine. Oh, I heard this guy on TV. Oh, what he said was amazing. And then six months later, you're like, oh, I was watching a YouTube video and I heard this preacher. Woo, it was great. And you switched from truth to truth. You want to know why? Because you don't have a belt of truth. Are there truths in scripture? Yes or no? Yes, absolutely. They're designed for you. Because the forces of evil... Those authorities and rulers in the heavenly places, they're going to attack your what? You're going to attack your mind. They're going to attack your truth in your mind. They're going to come here. But if you have the belt of truth on, you already know it's a lie. Amen? And all you got to do when you know that is you got to what? You got to stand. You got to stand. Because whose truth is it? It's God's truth. And guess who's going to fight for his truth? God will fight for him. God will fight for his truth. All you need to do is stand on it. Now listen, if there's anybody online or in here that's compromising the truth, stop it. Stop it. Listen, if you already know the truth, why are you changing it? You don't have to change the truth. Listen, you can know the truth and still be a wonderfully loving, kind, respectful Christian. If you think that knowing the truth just automatically makes you a jerk, you don't know the right truth. Because this truth is designed to make you stand. And listen, is it hard to stand in the world that we're living in and watching what's happening? Is it hard? Yes. Do you want to fight? Come on, I do. When you see the senseless violence and the nonsense that's being portrayed and acted out in our world where people are being randomly killed and destroyed because other people want a different truth, do you want to stand? No. You want to fight, right? Want to fight. The Bible says that's not our fight. As a matter of fact, we don't even have one. We just have a wrestle. And it's not against flesh and blood. And the belt of truth is designed to make you what? Stand. So what is the belt of truth? I just want to read. I just want to go through. All I'm going to do is I'm going to go through three scriptures real quick. 
right? Go to John 8, right? John 8, 31. Listen to this real quick. Jews who believed in him, Jesus said this, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. So if you're a believer in Jesus online and here, say amen. Don't let go of his teaching. Somebody say amen. Don't let go of his teaching. Listen, this is what Joe says every week. So I'll reiterate it. The reason he says don't trust a preacher is because sometimes preachers do not preach the teachings of Jesus. They teach their own teaching. Listen, I'm passionate about what I believe. I'm passionate about what I study. But you know what? I've been passionately wrong before. Because apparently the Chicago Cubs are not the best team in baseball. And apparently, according to some of you, McDonald's doesn't have the best iced coffee. I can be passionately wrong, but what you need to do is you need to prepare or, 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 or measure it against who's teaching? Against Jesus. And he says this, then you will know the what? You'll know the truth and the truth will do what for you? Here's the thing. It's always easy to tell a Christian who knows the truth because they live how? They live free. They don't live in bondage to their own stupidity, their own failures, their own sins, their own shame, their own guilt, their own story. Listen, it doesn't take very long for you to be around a person to realize that person has no idea the truth that Jesus has that will set them free. Because the only story they ever talk about is whose? Their own. Their own. Their own. And you know those people. And they're exhausting. They're like having a TV with one channel. The reality is this. The truth of Jesus will set you what? Free from what? Free from fear, free from death, free from shame, free from guilt. Then why in the world would you raise your kids to be ashamed and feel guilty? Because they what? Didn't look like God for a second? Get over it. Let those kids know the joy of living in the freedom that comes from Jesus who paid for how many of their sins? Right? All of them. Don't worry. Oh, they'll take advantage of it. Yeah, they probably will. Because you know why? They're taking advantage of you. They'll figure it out or they won't. But that'll be between them and their heavenly father. Amen. So he says, you'll know the truth and truth will set you free. They said, we're Abraham's kids. We're Jews. And we've never been slaves of anyone. He goes on to say, how can you say that we shall not be free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who what? Sins. Any of you in here sin? Yes or no? Right? Known the right thing to do and ignored it? Yes. Known the wrong thing to do and did it anyway? Boom. Now guess what? You're a slave to sin. Not because you do it all the time, but because now you can't get out of the fact that you now are in debt to God. And according to scripture, Satan holds that little piece of paper and says, Court Bear belongs to me now. He never has to sin again because he sinned once and he's mine. That's what he means. You're a slave to sin. He said, if you've sinned, you're a slave to sin. He says this, bring that next verse back up. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family. See, see, here's how you always know somebody who's still living in slavery to themselves and not living in the freedom of Jesus. They think they don't belong. How many Christians do you know that when they get their life in a mess, they quit coming to church and they quit being around their what? They quit being around their family because they still think they're a what? They still think they're a slave. They still think they're in debt. Stop it. You're just begging the devil's cohorts to trap you. He says, you've got no permanent place of family, but you do. Amen. Once in God's family, how long are you there? Always. Do you always act like you belong? 
No. You ever got any issues with your parents while you're there? Of course. Because God sometimes does things that makes you mad, right? Am I the only person? No. The God I love and the God I know about sometimes infuriates me because I want to know why he's doing that. But I never feel like I don't have it a permanent place. Because I've been set what? Free. He says, but a son belongs to it forever. Forever. My favorite thing about having adult children is when they come home and act like the home they come to belongs to them. I, I, I love it. I want to know that when my kids come home, even when they're 40, they can walk into a house that I, that I live in, that they've lived in and go, this is my home. I want that. Because a son belongs to it for how long? Forever. Forever. He goes on to say, right? If so if the son sets you free, you'll be free what? You're free indeed. You see, here's the thing about truth. Man, it does something that nothing else in the world can do. It sets you free. And here's the thing about truth. It's a cool word, right? It's a cool word. The word there for uh put your belt of truth on is Alathia. Let me show you a couple pictures real quick. This is my son and his family, uh, Jerry. So this is my uh, Carmen and I's adopted son, Jeremiah, and his wonderful wife, Kendra, and their four incredible kids. In the top is Zechariah, and this is Jedediah. And on the far right, that is Kara for grace. And in the middle is a little girl, and her name is Alathia. That is the word for truth in scripture. Here's another great picture of Alathia. There she is. She's the youngest of our of our son and, and daughter-in-law's children, and they named her. They named their one daughter Grace, and they named their other child Truth. Isn't that annoying, right? <laughs> but but here's the thing: Truth, right, is two Greek words, and the words are. Oh no, I'm in trouble. There's Shelby. Hi, Shelby. All right, two more minutes, right? Truth, right, alethos, right, is the Greek word ah, which means against, right, like against, and then thana or lanos, right, or lethos, which means truth, right? And that word lethos means it is hidden, covered. So truth means it's not what? It's not covered. That's what truth is. Truth is something that is not covered up. Truth is something that is out here and people can know it's true. And here's the thing about truth. You can put it up against anything and it will still be what? Truth. Truth is attested because it's tested. I don't know you, but part of my life and faith has been wanting to know if this is real or not. And so I want it tested. And I can tell you at 59 years of age and 42 years of this walk, my faith is true because it's attested by the test that it's lived in my life. And I've tried at times to replace it with something I thought would be more meaningful, something that would give me more hope, something that would give me more joy. And you know what I found out? That if you, if you know the truth and you test the truth, the truth will what? It'll set you free. Because truth is... It's not covered. That's exactly what the word means. Let me read another passage in Ephesians 1. He says this real quick. In Jesus, we were chosen. 
We were predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything, right, in conformity with the purpose of his will. This isn't your plan or my plan or the church's plan. This is Jesus, God's plan in Jesus. And why did he do that? In order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. Sitting here tonight, watching the night, have no idea what your purpose is. Right there it is, right? Your job is to bring God glory and praise. That's it, right? And you, listen to this, you, everybody say me. You were included in Christ when you heard the word of Aletheia. When you heard the thing that's uncovered, he says, the gospel of your salvation. What is the most important truth to us? It is the gospel of our what? Salvation. That's the most important truth. Listen, are there a million other truths in scripture? Yes. Is it sickening to live in a world where people have become so blinded spiritually, they're willing to ignore the fact that God made them male and female? Is that frustrating? Yes or no? Yes. Does it make you want to fight? Yes. Because I got kids and grandkids going to go through this system. But the truth that you sense yourself with, that you gird yourself with once, because you're standing in the might of the power of Jesus is that truth right there. Bring that verse back up. You do stand in this when you heard the word of truth. What? The gospel of your what? Listen, why are you fighting for the truth of male and female when you don't even believe this all the time? It makes this argument of all those other things sound so insincere because when you live your life, you don't believe this. Oh, because yesterday I had a bad day. Yesterday I had a terrible day. And last month I had a terrible day. Oh, why aren't you in church? Well, my life's a mess. You don't believe this. And yet you're screaming and fighting and arguing on Instagram and Twitter and on Facebook about, about sexual identity and all these things. And those things are true. But when you stand on those truths based upon this truth that you don't believe, you become insincere. This is the one that matters. This is the one that is your identity. This is the one that when you come in on the USS Eisenhower, or excuse me, the USS Forrestal, and you come into Mayport, I know you're a Navy soldier because of your uniform. You want to know how people know we're Christians? Because we put on the armor of God. And the first thing we put on is what? The belt of. And what is the truth? The truth sets us free. Why? Because it's the gospel of our salvation. Listen, I could preach for another hour, but we got to go. So come back next week. We're going to talk about the, the breastplate of righteousness. Father, thank you so much for um, your word. Your word is truth over and over again. Psalmist says it. The gospel writers say it. That your word is truth. And when we know your truth, it sets us free. It sets us free to do one thing. It sets us free to stand. Lord, I want to be a part of a church that stands, that doesn't move because it truly believes in the gospel of truth, the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation. So thank you for Paul. Thank you for penning these words through him. Father, teach us how to trust in you more. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, church.